We hope you enjoy this message from Matt Bruce, recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. It's so good to be here this evening. How good was this morning? It was amazing, amazing. I'd recently got a text from Pastor Wu uh, just before, and he pointed out the fact that uh, right now over in India, he's about to speak in the 10 a.m. service over there. So he's like, we're going to be preaching at the same time today, man. And I'm like, that's cool. That's really cool. I love this idea that we're part of a Mexican wave of worship uh, that goes across the world. And in New Zealand, we get a starter, and then it heads over to Australia, and then Malaysia, and just keeps going through all the, the world until it gets to like India. Right now, it's their morning service. It's our night service. But it's so cool that we're partnered with not just a nationwide initiative. We're partnered with Jesus, who's relevant to every situation, every culture. And um, it's just a pleasure to come into the house and worship Him and just to think of how many other languages are being used to worship Jesus at this moment. That's such a cool thought. The Mexican wave of worship that goes across the globe must be around for like 48 hours by the time you get through everyone's Sunday. Such a cool thing. When I think of that, I, I can believe in the fact that every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow. So cool. Hey, we've been in an amazing series. An amazing series in the name of Jesus. And the faith that it's brought has been incredible. I've loved it. I love that graphic. Looks awesome. Shot Andrew. But yeah, we've been in the series <laughs> in the name of Jesus. And uh, what we've been covering as Desiree uh, highlighted was one of the key verses is John 14, 12 to 14. They might show that on the screen. So John 14, 12 to 14 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask me anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's a crazy scripture. That's a crazy scripture. I think it's crazy. Do you guys think it's crazy? I think, yeah, okay, a few of you. A few of you are like, no, that's pretty easy, day-to-day stuff. But I think this is crazy, right? And I think that maybe when Jesus was saying that, he was on a little bit of a high, and he got a little bit carried away. Got a wee bit carried away and started telling us some promises, and then he's like, ooh, better keep these now. But we know that that's not the case because Jesus is what? He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth, so he cannot say something contrary to the truth. Therefore, when Jesus says the words in John 14, 12 to 14, it's not a suggestion, it's a fact. It's not a suggestion for us believers, it's a fact. So it may be a little crazy, but it's 100% true. 100% true, which is even more crazy. But I love this. So this has been the center of In the Name of Jesus in the series we're currently in. And tonight, I want to dwell into the area of faith and hope. Faith and hope. And I've just labeled my message, Focused Faith and Secured Hope. Focused Faith and Secured Hope. And I love what Justine brought about hope as the anchor for my soul. Secured hope. Shall we pray? Jesus, thank you so much that your name is higher. 
that your name is higher and any situation we face is never gonna be greater than you. I thank you that across the globe right now, everybody is standing to worship you, Jesus. We pray for Will right now as he ministers in India, God. I pray that you'd move powerfully and that the name of Jesus would be glorified. Jesus, right now, would you come be with me and speak through me tonight as we open your word. In your mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Well, it was hilarious this morning because Desiree got up here and she was like, right, we're going to spend our time in John this morning and then I'm going to go to Exodus at the end. And I'm like, no. Because I'm like, I'm spending my time in John this evening and then I'm referring to a, a passage in Exodus as well. So I was like, she better not be preaching my word, God. But she didn't, but it was a fantastic word. So thank you, Desiree. But this evening, we're gonna be spending our time in John again. So if you wanna turn with me to John chapter four, verse 43 to 53. John chapter four, 43 to 53. Awesome. Great, so it says, after the two days he left for Galilee. This is Jesus. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, so they also had been, or for they had also been there. Pending. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. So, Jesus' first miracle. And there was a certain royal official there whose son lay sick in Capernaum. Man, these words tonight. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Such a good piece of scripture and a fantastic moment in the Bible. And I'm really excited about this because this story, I believe, points out a really important aspect of faith. Points out a really important aspect of faith. You see, for a long time, I thought that when a person had faith, they had no doubt. When a person had faith, they had no doubt. In essence, I thought that faith was therefore the absence of doubt. Faith was, in essence, the absence of doubt. But faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith only has contextual meaning in the presence of doubt. Faith only has contextual meaning in the presence of doubt. What do I mean? I mean that if there were no doubt in a circumstance, then you would not require faith, right? If there were no doubt in a circumstance, you would not require faith because faith is required when what God says does not match what naturally occurs on earth. When what God says seems completely wrong or impossible. 
So if there were no doubt, if there were no doubt, then everything would be a known, right? If there were no doubt, everything would be a known. We would always know what would happen, what the outcome would be, and because we would always know what would happen, we would not require faith. We would not require faith. I did not need faith that if I throw a ball in the air, it's gonna come back to me if it's unobstructed. If it gets caught in a tree, it might not. But if I throw it in open air, I know that that ball's gonna come back down. There's no doubt there. It's a known, so I don't require faith. When I need faith is when the situation holds an unknown. That's when I need faith, when the situation holds an unknown. I need faith when the situation has an unknown and therefore provides the opportunity for doubt to come in. I need faith when the laws of the earth cannot explain the situation. So faith is not the absence of doubt. Both are present in a circumstance, but it's which one we focus on that can change the outcome. Doubt does not hold the power to change an outcome. Doubt simply agrees with the laws of this earth, but faith in God acknowledges that he who created the universe and the laws of it may override the natural process to bring about victory in your lives and in the world. God created the process so he can override it. He who created the universe still holds the ability to create a way where there's no way. We serve a God of the supernatural. We serve a God of the supernatural. Therefore, don't feel scared because you doubt. Don't feel little because you doubt. Don't feel weak because you doubt. Just make a choice not to focus on what normally occurs and instead focus on God who specializes in the impossible. That's a lot easier said than done, right? Like That's all very well and true, Matt, but that's a lot easier said than done. But could we focus on God who specializes in the impossible? You see, faith when used in a sentence is often paired with the word leap. To coin a phrase, a leap of faith, a leap of faith. And just as a leap leads to a time of suspension between two points, faith often leads to a time of suspension before landing. So when I take a leap, I know my, my point from which I leave from. I do not know how long the suspension will be, but I'm hoping that I'm landing on firm ground, right? That's what faith is. It's the suspension. And it's during the suspension that we often can freak out and pull the parachute cord early, right? In the, in the suspension, you're like, ah, get me out of this. So we pull the parachute cord early. We have a mountaintop moment with God and take a leap of faith only to freak out in the suspension, pull the parachute cord early and abort the mission. And abort the mission. Often when you abort the mission halfway, you end up landing in a destination you haven't chosen. Right? Right? Man, this is funny because I was thinking of instances in my life. You know, looking at my life, I've when I've aborted a mission halfway, I've landed somewhere random, blamed God and told him that his idea was dumb and said, look where you got me now, God. Look where you got me now. I did that leap of faith thing. I did that. But the problem was, was that Jesus prepared the takeoff and landing point and it wasn't his fault I chose the sea. 
It wasn't his fault I chose the sea. He prepared my takeoff point and my landing point. He had a plan and purpose for my life. I just got a little scared in the suspension. The point of suspension is the point where we often wrestle with doubt the most. We often wrestle with doubt the most. We come to church on Sunday, we have an encounter with Jesus. Our faith is certain. We go, I'm doing that. And then on a Monday, we're in suspension and we're like, pull the parachute, God. And then we're like, why am I at sea, God? Why is my week gone crazy? He's like, you pulled the parachute cord on Monday when you were meant to land on Sunday. Man, it's funny thinking all these things in my life where I pulled the cord too early. So faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the choice to focus on the Creator's ability, to focus on Jesus' grave-defeating power. It's supernatural. It's not natural. So heading back to the story up here, this man approaches Jesus. So he approaches Jesus. Jesus comes in and he approaches him. And Jesus' reputation has preceded him. Jesus' reputation has preceded him. So this man knows that when Jesus is present physically, he can perform miracles. He can heal the sick when he's there physically. Where Jesus is, the possibility of a miracle is there also. This is Jesus' reputation. In Scripture, we read twice of this man's desire for Jesus' presence. In verse 47, it says, hopefully that comes up, verse 47 Verse 47. Hey, that was good. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And in verse 49, if that one comes up as well, it says, this, the royal officer said, sir, come down before my child dies. Twice he says, Come. You see, this man knew the process by which Jesus healed. If Jesus went somewhere, he could perform miracles. So this man knew the process by which Jesus healed. What he didn't understand was the power of how Jesus healed. He knew the process of how Jesus healed. If Jesus was present, then a miracle could happen. But here's Jesus' response. The royal officer said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. So this guy's like, come, I need you to come, Jesus. And he just says, go. He says the opposite. And it's at this moment that the man had a choice. He had a choice to either focus on the process of Jesus or the power of Jesus. The process represents doubt. He could have doubted that his son would be healed because prior to this, all miracles had only occurred when Jesus was physically present. All miracles required Jesus to be present. So when Jesus says go and decides not to be present, he could have doubted. Or alternatively, he could choose to have faith that Jesus would do what he said he would do, regardless of his lack of physical presence. We read, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. That's faith. The process of Jesus said that that wouldn't work but he decided to place his faith in the power of Jesus. I love that. He took him at his word. It wasn't like he didn't know the process by which miracles usually occurred. It's not like he was oblivious to that. It's not like faith was the only option either. He could have easily chose to doubt and insisted on Jesus' presence. Don't tell me to go, Jesus. I know how you work. You have to be present. 
But instead, he took Jesus at his word, despite never seeing or hearing that this kind of thing had happened before. And it only happened a few times in Scripture as well. So it's not the normal process. So faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is choosing to believe and focus on the power of Jesus, not the process of the world. Are we focused on the process or are we focused on the power of Jesus? Are we focused on a method of being healed or are we focused on the power of the healing, the power that the healing comes from? I love it. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. When I was at university, I used to bike into some of my lectures and I decided one very cold winter morning that I'd bike to my lecture because I was running a bit late. So I got on my bike, hustled on down. I lived up in like, uh, what's it called? Northeast Valley-ish? But the, is it? Dal- Dalmore. I lived in Dalmore. Does that make sense? It's the hill you come down when you come into Dunedin. I lived on that hill. So I come down, come down my hill and it was all good. I was like, sweet. Biked along the flat, it was great. Turned into Dundas Street, and I was like, sweet, biking along. It was all going well. I'm like, man, it's, it's winter, but the roads seemed great. The roads seemed great. Then I went over Dundas Brow, and I was fully committed by then, because I'm like, I don't need to be cautious. And I went over the brow, and I'm committed down there, and the whole thing is just sheet ice. And my bike's fishtailing, and I'm like, I can't break. And this brow's like, whew, and people are just watching me. freaking out as I go down this brow. And then I have to make this decision. There's a wee little bump bit. And I needed to turn into, what's the next street? Harbour Terrace. I needed to turn into Harbour Terrace or I needed to go straight. Both options looked terrible at that time. But I'm like, I don't know why, but I chose to turn. (laughs) I chose to turn and I got like a tiny bit into the turn and then just boom. Like absolutely smash. I end up on the corner of the footpath. My bike's all in this tree bit thing and I've skidded along the whole thing. I was wearing a white jacket. My new jeans, but that is actually good because it looked like the rips were just designers. So So that was cool. And that was before ripped jeans were really in. So I was like, sweet, I can rock that. But my new white white jacket had big rips in it. I don't know if you've seen it, but Nana did a great job of cleaning it. But yeah, so I committed over this thing. But anyways... That was a Monday, and I went to class, and I sat down. I thought, oh, I'm not too bad. I was feeling a bit, I was a bit bloody, bit bloody in the lip and everything like that. But I was like, I'll just go to my class anyway because I've committed now. So I went to my class, and then when I tried to get up from my seat after the class, I couldn't even get up. I had to get some help to get up because I couldn't bend my leg. And I was like, bye, guys. I'm just going to go get my bike and walk home. And no one really cared about me, which sucks. But um yeah, I could barely, I could barely uh, like bend my leg and then I couldn't do any stairs. But anyways, it got to creative and I was like, right, Monday night, let's go to creative. I had um, to get some serious help to get to creative, but I'm like, I wanna be um, here on Monday night for our creative night to praise and worship God. So I got here, praise and worship was happening and everyone was jumping except me. And I was like, Jesus, I jump. So I'm like, I tried a bit and it hurt so much. And then I sat down, I was like literally on that row there, I sat down and because I couldn't jump and I was like, Jesus, this is ridiculous. I should be able to praise you freely. This is just dumb. And I never experienced healing in my life before, but in that moment, I'm like, Jesus, I need your healing because I want to praise you. And in that moment, I was healed and I was like, oh, I felt something there. And then and so I decided, right, I know I couldn't bend my legs, so I decided to start going down. I was like, 
good, 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 great, 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 amazing. And then I, and then I start jumping around and my whole leg's free. And I'm like, woo, I got healed. And everyone else is just praising Jesus. I'm like, guys, I got healed. But they're focused on the right thing. So I got healed and this was amazing. And then that night after creative, I departed, went home to bed and I got up the next morning and I just walked into university, sat in my lecture, did like half the day. And at lunch, I realized that I couldn't walk like 12 hours before that. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I got healed. I got healed. And I just started freaking out like, oh my goodness, that wasn't just me thinking I'm good for a wee moment. And then it came back. It was like, no, I got healed. It was crazy. So anyways, this man took Jesus at his word and departed. He departed, which is awesome. The thing about is that sometimes we're too scared to depart the presence of God because we question the power. We question the power. It's like, hmm, maybe that pain relief that I'm feeling right now after I got prayed for, maybe that might come back when I exit these doors. Maybe it was just a bit of hype and I was just feeling good in that moment and it's gonna come back when I leave. So we're scared to depart because we're not too sure if we were really healed or not. But no, it's the name of Jesus. If he's healed you, he's healed you. You can take him at his word and depart in confidence. That night I departed in confidence. I woke up in the morning and I forgot I was healed. And then halfway through the day, I realized, oh my goodness, I got healed. But so often in life, I've been scared to depart church because I feel like the moment might have just been me buying into something that wasn't actually Jesus or wasn't actually powerful. And I begin to doubt a bit. It's in that suspension, right? But we can be confident. We can take Jesus at his word and depart and believe and claim it, right? So cool. Imagine if we took Jesus at his word. So good. I love... um. Have you guys heard of Joel Olstein? 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 I can't even say it. Joel. Joel Olstein. He's like the biggest pastor, probably, in the world. And uh, we're recently at a conference, and um, this guy was talking about him, and he's like, oh, it's all very well for him. He's amazing and stuff like that. And like, he just kills the game, and just like, he's just incredible. And I'm okay with that. But then I met him. And he's the nicest guy ever. I could have put up with that if he was a complete jerk, but he turns out to be the nicest guy ever. And I'm like, dang it, dang it. It was like a humility check for him. So I thought that was funny because so often we're like that. Eh? We're like, oh, it's all very well for them. I bet they're very not, not a very nice person at home though. You know, we like, we like to poke holes at them and, and try to degrade them. But really he's been put in a position because he honors God in all aspects. So I think we should follow him. Yeah? So anyway, that was a side thing. Joel Osteen. So he did a sermon I saw, and um, he got everyone to grab his or her Bible. If you have your Bible, grab your Bible. I'll grab mine. He just got this. This was the start of his sermon, and he just got everyone to grab their Bible, and he just got everyone to uh, repeat after him. He just said, I believe this is your inspired word, God. Let's do it. I believe this is your inspired word, God. I believe that what it says about you is true. I believe you can do what it says you can do. I believe that what it says about me is true. And I believe I can do what it says I can do. 
And I was just like sitting on my couch like, Christianity's that simple. It's that simple. What if I actually believed that everything I read was true? What if I stopped doubting myself and just believe what God said about me? And I'm like, wow, Christianity's so simple sometimes. Imagine if we took God at His word. I love that idea. Hey, let's keep going tonight. John 6, 25 to 59. If you turn with me to John 6, 25 to 59. So we've just talked about focused faith. Now let's talk about secured hope. This is a long scripture, so you might wanna get comfy. (laughs) Are we there, team? We ready to read the novel with me. So 24 is procedure, and it just says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So they've just been um, at the feeding of the 5,000 at that miracle, and then they realize Jesus isn't there, so they go to, they go to find him. And then it says, uh, this bit told Jesus the bread of life. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's interesting. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, for, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That doesn't sound like a too hard a job. They asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. That's awesome. But raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the, in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Man, that can be a little confusing. 
It's like Jack Sparrow speaking. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give to, for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Whew! That's a long scripture. I hope you guys didn't fall asleep on me. A very long scripture. So prior to the scripture uh, here, uh, the crowds had just been at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, as I said. So they've just seen Jesus' signs, signs and wonders. But there's two incident, instances in the story that paint the struggle of faith well, that show how hard it is, or how hard it can be to take Jesus at his word, right? In verse 34 to 42, it says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, will never, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. We then skip on a wee bit. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? You see, the same crowd that saw Jesus perform the miracle of feeding the 5,000 now have the opportunity to focus on faith or doubt. And they choose doubt. They choose to focus on what they knew of Jesus instead of trusting in what Jesus was saying. They knew he was the son of Joseph and Mary, so how could he come down from heaven? They choose to focus on what they knew instead of on what Jesus was saying. In verse 51, 52, he then says, this bread is my flesh, which I give you for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Once again, the crowd who just saw the miracle choose to focus on what's naturally possible and not on the word of Jesus. You see, it's a lot easier to focus on what we know and can see even shortly after a moment of seeing the power of Jesus. That's scary. We can walk straight out of church and then buy into the process of the world instead of what Jesus has just declared over us. And Jesus highlights why this is right at the beginning of his teaching. I wanna go there, verse 25 to 26. I'm really excited about this tonight, team. Really excited about where we're going. Is it there? Woo, great. So it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus then chooses not to answer their actual question. 
and answers with his own thing. (laughs) Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's really interesting. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. At the beginning, Jesus diagnoses the reason for their interest in him. And his diagnosis for their interest in him is not due to the signs they saw him perform, but because they were full from the loaves they ate. It's kind of weird. He says, you're interested in me not because of the signs I perform, but because you're full from the loaves I provided. Isn't that life? Don't we all just wanna live a full life? Don't we chase something that leads to the fullest life? To live a John 10, 10 life, my favorite scripture that I drop into every message. To live life to the fullest. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want. I wanna live full. You see, we all like signs and wonders, but our heart's desire is to be full. We cannot live on moments of signs and wonders alone. We just can't live on moments of signs and wonders alone. It would be like going out to a restaurant a couple times a year and then not eating for the rest of the year, right? Going out for a meal. We're going out for a meal on January the 1st and we're not eating again because we expect that epic meal to sustain us. We expect that one epic meal to sustain us. However, we aren't built for moments, but rather we're built for daily sustenance. We're built for daily sustenance. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because he was never about an earthly visitation, but rather an eternal habitation in our lives. He wasn't just about an earthly visitation. He was about an eternal habitation in everyone's life. He wanted to be our daily bread. He didn't want us to just read about him. He wanted us to have access to him. He didn't just want 12 friends. He wanted the friendship of every human, every human. Jesus then goes on and highlights that we need more than moments that pass. What we need is his daily bread, the power of his name in our lives daily. And in verse 47, he says, Oh, let's go there. Verse 47. Verse 47. Great. In verse 47, he says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. This is the Exodus kind of reference here. You see, the thing about manna in the wilderness was that the Israelites feared that one day the manna would stop being delivered by God. They feared that it would stop being delivered by God, so they disobeyed God and collected more manna than they needed to try to tie themselves over just if God didn't come through for them. But God caused the manna they stored up to be full of maggots in the morning. Ugh. Not because he was mean, but because he was trying to teach them that he isn't a God who's concerned about only a moment of care, but rather he's a God concerned about always caring for his creation day in, day out. He's a God who shows up every day. 
So he's not trying to be mean. He's not saying, you guys can't have more than your share. He's saying, trust me, because I'm gonna provide it every day. Every day. But they doubted it. You see, so often we fear that we're gonna run out, right? It's probably one of our biggest fears that we're gonna run out. Our account looks good now, but what about in a week's time? I can't go do that thing because I really need to save that. I know that it's a step of obedience, but I'm not gonna do it because I'm, I'm worried that I'm gonna run out. I'm worried that I'm not gonna be able to provide for my family. I'm worried that I'm gonna get fired from my job. It's good for this season, but I fear that I'm gonna run out. I think it's one of our biggest fears that we're gonna run out. That God won't come through for us and we try to live on yesterday's mana instead of eating the fresh mana God has for us each day. We love a moment with God and seeing signs and wonders, but we think that will sustain us only to find we're hungry a week later because we forgot to eat our daily bread. We forgot to believe in Jesus' name each day and enter into a relationship with Him. You see, so often we're focused on doubt and we're scared of running out. But here's the thing. We don't need a fair will run out because we know the baker. We don't need a fair, we're gonna run out because we know the baker. I don't know about me, you, but I have a personal relationship with the baker. With the baker, this is exciting. The baker is God. God's the baker. He's your local good guy. And the thing is, is that God knows what it is to be a good baker. He's not just an average baker, he's a very good baker because he understands the principle of the baker's dozen. He understands the principle of the baker's dozen. He has provided Jesus the bread of life. You see, it's almost like Jesus knew he was the 13th loaf. It's almost like he knew he was the 13th loaf. Why? Because how many disciples did he select? 12? What's the baker's dozen? 13, it's almost like Jesus knew he was part of the baker's dozen, that he was the 13th loaf, right? You're like, where's this going, man? <laughs> he had 12 disciples and therefore he was the 13th. And the reason for the baker's dozen is that the 12 loaves get put out in the shop to be sold, but the 13th loaf is for the baker. He bakes it for himself. So he, he, he bakes 12 to sell, but he keeps the 13th for himself. He may sell 12 loaves during the day, but there will always be a 13th loaf left over for him and his family. That's the principle of the baker's dozen. And the principle applies to Jesus and the disciples. Each disciple served the kingdom of God well for a time, performing miracles in Jesus' name and setting up the church, but they were only here for a moment before they passed away. They got sold. But Jesus is the 13th loaf. The 13th loaf went to the cross and died on it. And the devil tried to purchase him and bury him in the ground for eternity. But Jesus defeated the grave so that now the 13th loaf, the bread of life is now on the menu for eternity. Where the 12 failed, the 13th loaf stood up and said, no, this one's for the baker and his family. The 13th loaf was never up for purchase. The 13th loaf couldn't be bought and corrupted by the devil. Amen. Because the 13th loaf was baked by God for his family and no one else. No one else. Devil, get your hands off the 13th loaf 
because it's not for sale. Put it back. It's for God's family. For God's family. Come on, we serve a God who is a good father, who knows what it is to be a great baker, who knows what it is to feed his family. He didn't just bake the 13th loaf and keep it for himself. No, instead he baked it before the beginning of time. And he kept it. He kept it in suspension just so he could redeem you and me back to life. Now and to come. This is why Jesus is called the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, because the 13th loaf was baked before we even fell. I love that. He's the 13th loaf, the daily bread, the bread of life, and his life-giving power is never running out. Come on, let's not just settle for an occasional encounter with Jesus. He's the daily bread. Let's not just believe Jesus has the power to shift moments, but rather that he has the power to change things every day to bring about victory. He said he's the daily bread. Let's not hang out for moments. Let's get the band back up. Whew, man, I, I got way more excited about that. When I had this revelation at home, I was sitting in my chair and I was like, doing this, like, looking, reading my Bible. And then I just laughed. And everybody's like, what, what was that? And I go, you got no idea. I just found out that Jesus is the 13th loaf. And we know the baker. Man, so good. So good. So tonight, Focus faith and secure hope. You see, our, our hope is secure. We don't have to fear we'll run out because we know the baker. I don't know about you, but I want to get to know my local baker <laughs> even more. I want to know what God says about the world, what God says about me, what God says about what I can do, what God says about the situations I'm dealing with. I want to take him at his word. In the scripture in verse 26, it says, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your full fill. And in verse 47, he says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. In both instances, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you. Very truly, I tell you. Could my faith response be a very truly, I believe you? Very truly, I believe you. Very truly, I believe your name is above all other names. Very truly, I believe no weapon formed against me will prosper. For Jesus, you conquer. Jesus, you're not up for purchase and now you're living in my life, so I'm not up for purchase, devil. Very truly, I acknowledge that doubt is present, but very truly, I focus my faith on the words you say, Jesus. I'm not concerned with a process, I'm concerned with your power. Focus faith and secure hope. Let's stand tonight. I thank you that your word is true that you never said anything contrary to the truth because you are the truth Jesus 
I thank You, God, that we don't have to fear when we doubt. All we have to do is focus on You, Jesus, and on Your power. Doubt is not weakness, but the choice of faith is ours. God, I thank You that You're the daily bread, that we don't have to fear we'll run out because we know the baker. Thank You, Jesus, that our hope is therefore secure, that Your hope is an anchor for our soul that we can't drift out of your presence because you hold us there fast. I just felt like in this moment, I don't want to leave it. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.